Today's scripture reading is Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have always, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it is only fitting, because your gr- faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For all... For after, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. And to this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. We are still in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 this morning. 9 through 11. And what we're in the middle of is what's called an inverted parallelism. An inverted parallelism. Where he writes with a poetic pen, but he inverts it. In other words, in verse 6, he talks about the judge. And then again, he talks about the judge in verse 11. And he talks about those being rewarded in verse 7, and those who suffer loss in verse 8. Then he inverts it. And he talks about those suffering loss in verse 9, those being rewarded in verse 10, and finishes with the judge, verse 11. Now, I can explain an inverted parallelism, but to ask me to write one, I think I'd be at a loss. But here in the middle of this theology of sin, Paul writes a little poetry. Just to communicate to us that we understand what's going on. And that's the reason he does it. He's emphasizing The point, there is a judge, there will be reward, and there will be suffering loss. And he says it twice 
just so we get it, so, just so we understand. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, he talks about sin. That's the main theme. Right now in chapter 2, he's talking about sin being judged. Sin being judged. Sin is always judged by your works, by your deeds, by your actions, by your thoughts. It is how you will be judged. Now, eternal life is not given to a moral sinner unless he is good, or we might say righteous. He has to keep the law perfectly. He has to think perfectly. He has to speak perfectly. He has to act perfectly. Not according to his standards, but according to a holy judge's standards. Which means, no one is perfect. No one will earn their way to heaven by the keeping of the law minus one person who did it. Who is? Jesus. Jesus Christ lived under the law, Galatians says, and he kept it perfectly. He's the only one. By the way, don't believe the myths that he sinned during his life, because if he did, we would be able to throw away our Bibles worthless. One evil thought, one evil word, one evil action. We would no longer have any hope. But only by the gospel message is the wicked sinner or the moral sinner or you saved. Only by the gospel message can anyone keep the law perfectly. Only by having the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to you when you're born again can you be saved from this judgment. Therefore, only the work of Jesus Christ can a believer produce evidence of salvation by his works and therefore be rewarded. Isn't that funny? You get rewarded for the work of Jesus Christ. It's at this point in the book of Romans, he's trying to make you understand that there's absolutely no hope of you earning your way to heaven. The end of chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, he'll talk about you being saved through the gospel message by faith. And we'll get there. But right now, we're in verse 9. Verse 9. Verse 9, he's talking about loss, how you lose your reward, how you suffer loss, how you'll be judged in a negative light. He says, there will be tribulation and distress for, what's the word? Every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Of the Jew first and also of the Greek. So here you go. What's your question? The question is, to what action on this earth will the wicked sinner and the moral sinner be held accountable by a holy judge at the great white throne? 
You remember? That was the same question we had last week. Why? Because it's inverted parallelism. Here we go. The first step that will give you actions that will make you accountable at the great white throne is you display earthly actions that will be punished with outward affliction. You display earthly actions done by your flesh, done by you, that will be punished with outward affliction. Outward affliction. See the word tribulation? That's talking about outward affliction. It's talking about affliction or situation being pressed down upon you like you have a rock on top of you and you've been pressed. A burden, a trial, a calamity, a hardship. The Greek term is talking about pressure to a point of breaking. You are under pressure. You ever feel under pressure? If you are a moral sinner or a wicked sinner, it comes every day. To a believer, sometimes God's allowed trials and tribulations and hardships into your life to make your faith grow stronger. Here, this punishment is applied to the future. Not only do you have it now in this life, a taste of it, but in the future, when you go to the great white throne judgment and all the books are open and your deeds are read, your thoughts are read, and your judgment is given because your name is not in the book of life and you're sent to a lake of fire, you will experience tribulation. Not one day, not one week, but forever you'll experience tribulation like an outside stone pressed upon your body. It'll be extreme pressure. It'll be physical pressing together. It's used in the Bible, New Testament, used talking about the early church being trialed by the Jews. It's used of the church in Asia Minor being persecuted for Jesus Christ. And one day it'll be used of the person who goes to the great white throne and is sent to the lake of fire. Second, what action on this earth will the wicked sinner and moral sinner be held accountable for by a holy judge of the great white throne? Second, and there will be tribulation and distress. And distress. Distress is a display of earthly actions that will be punished with an inward affliction. An inward affliction. You will be distressed because of your sin. You will have an inward affliction. Distress is talking about an inward affliction. Paul uses the two words together, tribulation and distress. He's talking about outside pressure and inside pressure. Distress seems to be a stronger word than tribulation. If you can measure the the discomfort, you'll have more discomfort from the internal distress. It's like being in a narrow place. It's referred to as solitary confinement. It's taught 
about as part of the lake of fire where you will feel absolutely isolated, lonely, and eternally confined in isolated confinement forever. No possibility of hope, no possibility of release, not, no possibility of escape. In Deuteronomy 28, the Hebrew term is used to describe being surrounded by the enemy under siege. One theologian puts it this way, the fitness of the image is attested to by the frequency with which, on the other hand, a state of joy is expressed in the Psalms and elsewhere as bringing into a large room. So, in the Bible, you have joy in a large room. Lake of Fire you will feel like you're in solitary confinement and it's all around you and you have an internal distress that feels you're confined by yourself. Psalm 118.5 says, From my distress I called upon the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. You will be in one of two places. You'll be in a large place in heaven or you will be in a lonely, solitary confinement place in the lake of fire. Tribulation and distress. Outward affliction and inward affliction. The choice is easy. You don't want to be there. You do not want to be there. Third, what... Actions of on this earth will a wicked sinner and moral sinner be held accountable by a holy judge of the great white throne? There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man. Every soul of man. Number three, display earthly actions that will be punished with an individual judgment. An individual judgment for every soul, every individual soul. Every individual person will be held accountable. You will not be in a group before the great white throne. You will be by yourself. There will be a mental aspect to God's judgment, or maybe you could say a spiritual aspect of God's judgment. And it will be individual and it will be perfect for you, the wicked sinner or the moral sinner. You will be judged. Not for somebody else's sin, not for the group's sin, but for your sins. Fourth, to what action on this earth will the wicked sinner and moral sinner be held accountable by a holy judge the great white throne? Distress for every soul of man who does evil. Who does evil. Fourth, you will display earthly actions that will be contrary to to a holy God. They'll be the opposite of a holy God. Everyone who does evil, to effort by labor to achieve, to accomplish, does evil. The wicked man fully works out sin, fully accomplishes the outcome of sin, which is tribulation and distress. He gets the last piece forever of what sin does gives outward affliction. It gives inward affliction. 
The wicked man will carry to his end the sin, his sinful actions. Evil is anything that's not in conformity to God's holiness. Evil is anything contrary to God. And you will be held accountable. If you are a wicked sinner, you just do sins outwardly. Or if you're a moral sinner, you think you can do good things and somehow earn your way into heaven. You're headed towards a lake of fire, a great white throne, and you'll be judged and you'll put, be put in solitary confinement. You'll have pressure from outside. You'll have pressure from within. And you will receive the punishment of your sins forever. Forever. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to look at verse 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Here he gives, Paul gives another example of what he's talking about when he's referring to the lake of fire. He deals with it in an interesting way. I want you to notice what he says. Verse 7, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. So there's going to be a time of judgment and it will happen right after Jesus returns. Verse 8, dealing out tribulation, <coughs> retribution. Dealing out retribution. There will be retribution for the sinful acts you do. There is no little white lie. There's no little sin. There's no non-harmful sin. There's no sin that doesn't hurt anybody. There'll be retribution. You will receive retribution. You will receive payback. Retribution there is in present tense. Every single day, you'll pay back for the sin you committed. Every single day, a continual process of dealing out retribution. Inflection, full judge, judge, justice on a criminal, giving him all that his guilt deserves. Second, there will be evidence. The evidence is that you do not know God. You do not know God. Perfect tense. You never had a knowledge of God. While on earth you did not know God. You did not even have a head knowledge of God. You don't know Him constant state of being, a constant refusal to acknowledge who God is and give Him the respect He deserves. Third thing, there will be evidence, no obedience to the gospel, no obedience to the gospel. You will not obey the gospel. You will not have faith. You will not repent. You do not do that. You're a good person. You do not repent you do not place your faith in Jesus Christ. You will not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift to be received. The gospel message is a command to obey. And you will not do it. Present tense, you will not obey. You will not obey yesterday. You will not obey today. You will not obey tomorrow. You will constantly be disobedient. Verse 9. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. The lake of fire is described as eternal destruction. 
It does not mean annihilation, but it implies loss of all things that makes living worth living. You will not have what is life. You will be destroyed eternally. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, you will not know the presence of the Lord in the lake of fire. You will be in solitary confinement. And you will not know his power. You will not know the glory of his power. You will not know his power. By the way, you take the opposite. You go to heaven, you will know the presence of God. (laughs) You will know God even more clearly than you know God now. And you will know the power of God. Every day, you'll experience the power of God. But if you're a moral sinner or a wicked sinner, after the great white throne, you'll have nothing but outward affliction and inward affliction. Turn back to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 9. Notice he ends the verse with a very interesting comment. The Jew first and also to the Greek. Also of the Greek. The Jew first and also of the Greek. The Jew, the one who had knowledge of the Old Testament, the knowledge of the law, knowledge of the promises of God, the wicked sinner, the moral sinner, which would be the Jew and the Greek, both will be judged by a holy God who shows no discrimination based upon who their grandfather was, but only upon their sins. Amos chapter 3, verse 2 says, You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth, talking about the Israelites, Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Paul emphasizes judgment based upon your works. Reminds the Jews and the moral sinner and the Greek that God will not spare you his wrath. The Jews are first. Not first in point in time, but first in order of time. And also to the Greek. In the society of that day, they had an upper class and a lower class. The lower class they called barbarians. The upper class they called Greek. This is the people who were the philosophers. These were the people that had the money. These were the people that had the slaves. This was the upper class. Matter of fact, the Greeks thought the Jews were the lower class. But Paul puts the Jew first and the Greek The Greek. The Jews had the Old Testament. The Greeks had the culture. The two were the highest standing groups in the day and age. There's some stress upon the culture for the Greeks because the culture is against the uncultured, the barbarians. Paul had this in mind. He was hinting to that the people, even in their cultural best, did not naturally belong to God. You may be great in this society. You may be the talk of the town in this society. But that does not matter to God. If you have all the good things of life, that will not save you. The only way to produce the righteous deeds, actions, works that God has and wants from you is by you possessing Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
only by trusting Him as your Lord and Savior, possessing the Holy Spirit to empower you to do the good works is the only way that will save you. If you do not know Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how big your bank account is, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how cultured you are, what automobile you drive, where you have your house, it doesn't matter what people think of you. It only matters that a holy God judges your sins. And that will lead to internal anguish, affliction, and external affliction. Then, look at verse 10. Then it says, but. Enough talk about the loss. Now there's transition to the reward, to the believers, whom Paul has not described yet in the book how to get there. He will at the end of chapter 3. He talks now, but the glory and honor and peace to everyone who does the good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What actions on this earth will the believer do to be confident at the Bema seat of Christ? First, but glory. This is the same thing we talked about last week. He repeats it in this inverted parallelism. Glory. Same answer. He'll display heavenly actions that are seeking God's glory. Heavenly actions seeking God's glory. We talked about this last week. This comes two different ways. One, that our life is to glorify God. Whatever we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God. We are to do everything to glorify God. And we'll get rewarded for that. We'll get rewarded from that with glory. (laughs) Whatever we have, 2 Corinthians 4, for the momentary light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. So we try to give God glory in everything we do so that God will give us glory. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been saved by faith and repentance, your life is one goal, to glorify God. If you want another goal, we have it for you. Second, what actions on this earth will the believer need to do to be confident of the beam of seat of Christ? They need to display heavenly actions that will exalt God. That will exalt God. Again, a repeat from the inverted parallelism before. Same thing we had last week. To honor God, to exalt God, to declare God, to promote God, to give God honor, respect, do His name. We honor Him. We give glory to Him. And then the third, what actions on this earth will the believer need to do to be confident to be a city of Christ? Third, this is new. We need to display heavenly actions that will produce a harmony with God. A harmony with God. Some people think this goes back to the inverted parallelism of immortality that we talked about last week. Could be. But peace is a major theme in the New Testament. We are designed to have peace with God. We're designed to have peace with other people. We're designed to have peace with ourselves. We're designed to have peace. (laughs) 
Hebrew peace talks about being completed, being complete at peace. We are to have peace. Peace with God, peace with man, peace with ourselves. Peace seems to be an inward state of being for the believer. The wicked sinner, the moral sinner, they don't know what peace is. Their life is not one of peace. But a believer indwelt by the Holy Spirit will have peace every single day. The purpose of Jesus Christ's coming was to give peace to His followers. If you meet Jesus Christ and are in Christ, abide with Christ, you will have peace. And you will know it. Fourth, what actions on this earth will a believer need to do to be confident at the beam of seat of Christ? Four, he need to display heavenly actions that will de- be declared righteous. That will be declared righteous. <clears throat> Glory, honor, peace to everyone who does good. To do good. In order to do good, you have to have your actions declared righteous. The way you have your actions declared righteous is you do them in the power of the Holy Spirit. The way you have the power of the Holy Spirit is you have the Holy Spirit abide in you. You have the Holy Spirit control you. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Having the Holy Spirit in you happens when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have goal of glory, you have goal of honor, you have the peace of God, and you have the ability to do righteous actions, not by your power, but by the Holy Spirit's power. And if you do that, you'll get reward. If you just submit to God, you'll get reward. You'll do what's good. You'll do what's righteous. The Holy Spirit will do the, use His power, and you will be declared good. <clears throat> it's not saying that eternal life comes, or salvation comes by good works. We're talking about judgment. Judgment. At the beam of seat of Christ, you will not be judged about your salvation. You'll be judged and rewarded based on your works. Good works means no no earning salvation. It talks about not doing the evil works. You'll do righteous works. After salvation, the righteous do good works. To get salvation, you can't get it by doing the law or attempting to do good. That won't do it. That won't do it. Here you go. This is a tree from Israel. It's a fig tree. Now, again, maybe you know what a fig tree looks like. I'm an anti-farmer, so I don't know, okay? Unless it's in a grocery store and it has a little sign on it that says figs, okay? That's the only way I know. But this is a fig tree. Notice, is this fig tree with fruit or without fruit? Guess what? It's with fruit. You can tell a wicked sinner or a moral sinner, somebody thinks they're good, they do not have any fruit. And they will be judged accordingly. No fruit, you'll be at the great white throne. With fruit, you'll be at the Bema seat of Christ. And you will be 
held accountable by a judge who would determine the quality of your fruit. You don't have fruit. <laughs> the stories go in the New Testament and the Gospels <laughs> that you'll be thrown away and burned up. We know that's talking about the lake of fire. You will go to the lake of fire, you will have outward pressure upon you, and you will have inward distress. You will be, you'll get it coming and going. There'll never be a day of peace. There'll never be a day of rest. You'll never have a day where you see the power of God. There'll be never a day when you, when you have, where you know God, where you'll have a relationship with God. There'll be nothing but pain and torment forever. But you accept the gospel message, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a new life. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, produces power in you, so that you can do with your words and your actions things that will produce fruit by the power of Jesus Christ. And guess what? He produces it. You just do it. Produces it and gives you a reward. Gives you a reward. Verse 11. Inverted, we started with the judge. We went to reward. We went to loss. Now we're going loss. We're going to reward. Now we're back to the judge again. Verse 11. <clears throat> For there is no partiality with God. There is no partiality with God. How will the people of this world be judged? How will the people of this world be judged? There will be an absolute, there'll be not one moment of discrimination by the judge at the Bema seat or at the great white throne where your words, thoughts, words, actions will prove the condition of your heart and reveal the work of salvation has occurred to you while on this earth or if you are still in your sins. There will be an absolutely, there will absolutely be not one moment of discrimination because he he shows no partiality. He will not discriminate. He'll not look at you and say, ah, oh, you're Jewish. Let me, let me sneak you around the back door. Oh, you're Greek. You're the upper class. Let me sneak you in by a back door. You're a barbarian. I like barbarians. I'll sneak you in. The judge will not do that. There will be absolutely no discrimination the judgment will be absolutely just and perfect. Four, there's no partiality with God. The conjunction there is to express cause. To be used to confirm what is said before this, practically that the punishment will be experienced by the Jew as well as the Greek. The privileged as well as the upper class. The conjunction explains that God will reward those who do what is righteous by the power of the Holy Spirit and punish those who practice evil by the power of their flesh. Because God is impartial. No partiality. That means respecter of person. 
That means to judge somebody by their face. To show favoritism on account of something. On account of their wealth or rank or office or influence or personal relationship or by fearing Him. No partiality. No partiality with God. Judgment is based upon a person's relationship with God. Person's relationship with God. Here you go. Let's, let's test our Hebrew this morning. Okay? Now, first off, Hebrew, you read right to left, not left to right, so don't get confused. First word there in the square is Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh, and then Elohim, then Elohim, then Elohim, then Adonai, and Adonai. All translatable, God. God, 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 God. So, so, do you get the hint here? This is going to be an important verse. God, 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 God. This is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great and mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality or take a bribe. The Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. When you stand before the judge, you'll be standing before the supreme, 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 supreme court. It'll be the God who created the universe. It will be the God who came to die on a cross for your sins. It'll be the God who desires that you would be saved. It's the God of all gods. And He wants a relationship with you. That's the whole gospel message. That's what we're supposed to share with the world this week. God wants a relationship with you. If you take God at his gospel message, he will empower you. Your life will change. You will now have a Lord. You'll have a Yahweh. You'll have an Elohim. You'll have an Adonai. You will have God of all gods. He will indwell you, give you the power, He will save you. He'll make you born again. He'll redeem you. (laughs) He'll glorify you. He'll justify you. He'll take care of all your sins so that you can have a relationship with Him and so that you will have a purpose for living. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. 
but from the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit he will reap eternal life. Eternal life. There's no options here. Corruption or eternal life. Corruption or eternal life. Application. Will I warn as many friends as possible that their actions give evidence that they are headed towards the great white throne to stand before a holy judge who will see clearly their sinful heart and that the only hope they have is to repent. The only hope they have is to repent. Will I warn as many friends as possible that their actions give evidence that they are headed towards the great white throne to stand before a holy judge, the God of gods, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, who will clearly see your sinful heart and have recorded all your sinful actions. Will you repent now? Always the last one. There was a uh, preacher, matter of fact, he was president of Moody Bible Institute, Will Holton. Will Holton. He was president of Moody back in the 1940s, and uh, he played a large, large role with the conversion of an atheist who was contemplating suicide. The atheist, the agnostic, the skeptic was desperate. But he decided if he could find a minister who lived his faith, that he would listen to him. So he hired a private detective to follow Will Houghton. So the detective followed him. Everywhere he went, everything he did. When the investigator's report came back, it revealed that the preacher's life was above reproach. And the agnostics started going to his church. Then accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Later sent his daughter to Moody Bible Institute. There are people watching your lives this week. Will they see the fruit of God in your life? Or they will they see a moral sinner just like everybody else? What witness will you leave when you put your head to sleep next Saturday night? What kind of week will it be? A good week advancing the kingdom of God? Or a week of advancing yourself? Two options. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father, that you would help us to learn from this little message about what's going to happen in the future. I pray, Father, that you would convict us, teach us, change us, shape us, admonish us, encourage us to be the believers you desire us to be. I pray, Father, for everyone here, that you would have a place in their heart, that you, Father, would have your Holy Spirit inside each one, working powerful ways, producing fruit. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Father, they would turn to you today. 
before they go to sleep tonight, that they place their trust in you and the promises of your word and repent of their sins and be saved, be changed, be new. Pray, Father, that you would advance your power, your gospel message, and, Father, produce in us the actions that will produce a reward at the Bema Seat of Christ. Thank you, Father, for your word and how it applies to us each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.